Well, that was cute, wasn't it? <laughs> you know what? It's important, though, job interviews, because it matters who you work with and who you work for. It makes a difference in how much you enjoy your job, doesn't it? And in fact, sometimes if you've ever had a job that you didn't enjoy, maybe in that job you got a case of the Mondays. Or maybe in your household you call it something different. Maybe you call it the, the Sunday scaries, or you call it Schmondays, where Sunday runs into Monday. You know what I'm talking about? This is that point in time in Sunday afternoon or early evening when everything's going well, you're enjoying your weekend, you feel great, and then boom, the anxiety hits because you know tomorrow's Monday and off to work you go. And all of a sudden, you're worried about Monday. And, and so, so we want to talk to you about this idea of a case of the Mondays. And it's because we spend so much of our time in our vocational places of employment, and because the stress tends to be so high, especially as you head into the week and as you begin your week, we said, what if we sat down and we talked about what it means to be a Christ follower in the place that we work? What if it matters how well we do at our job when we're not just at church on Sundays. And we said we want to talk about that. And so now I know as soon as I say that, there's a few of you that I'm losing immediately, right? Any of you that are a college student, high school student, you know, uh, any of you that are retired, any stay-at-home parents, all right, anybody who right now maybe you're in between jobs, and you're immediately going, okay, well, what in the world is going to be in this series for me? Let me just tell you, we're going to address that. We're going to talk to you, too, in this series. Just stay with us. I promise it'll be worth your while. So let's dive in. And where I want to dive in today is actually in the beginning. I want to start with Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 as we talk about what it means for us to be Christ followers in the place of work. And so beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 it simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I want us to stop right there for just a moment because I want to make sure that you see something that is taking place here. This is the very first picture that we get of God. This is our very first impression of who God is and what kind of God he is. And what we see here is that God is a working God. He is creating the world. In the very first verse, we see an image of God as a working God. He's working as the creator. Now, the rest of chapter 1 goes through the creation story, and then we get to chapter 2. And I want to show you chapter 2, verse 1, because you're going to continue to see how God is a worker, that that's the first image we see of him. Here's chapter 2, verse 1. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the what? Work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Do you see it? He's working, 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 working. He's a working God, a working God who works so hard that after six days of hard work, he said, on the seventh, I want to take a break. On the seventh, I think it's important to rest. He was settling something up for us. He was modeling something for us that you work hard and then you rest hard. But I want to make sure you see that he's a working God. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that, that you see that he's a working God? Well, well, number one, because the work he was doing was for you and me. He was working to create us, and he was working to create the world around us that we get to live in and thrive in. 
But number two, this is important, because you were made in the image of God. You were created in the image of a working God. And so because of that means we're not meant to sit around. We're not meant to just do nothing. So so let me show you where we fit into this idea of being made in the image of a working God. What does that mean for us? What's supposed to happen? If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it's at the end of the creation story. I want you to see this. It says, then God said, let us make mankind, that's you and me, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. This is important. You're being given a job, responsibility, to rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, jump ahead to chapter 2, verse 15, and look at this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. The Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Did you catch all of that? Let me explain to you what's going on here. In the very beginning... When the world was as it should be, when the Garden of Eden existed in utopia, everything is good, everything is pure, everything is right. There's no sin yet, there's no brokenness yet, there's no toil, there's no hurt, there's no stress. So this is describing when the world was in perfectness, when it was as it should be, what were you created to do? work. Even as the world was perfect and created as it should be, God had a role and had positions and had a job for you, something he wanted you to do. What does that mean? It means we were created to work. We were created to work with God and for God. We are made in the image of a working God. So in the Garden of Eden, does that mean that then what God did was he said, okay, Adam and Eve, here you go. Here's two hammocks for you. Just lay down, relax, just chill out a little bit. Stay there. You're never going to have to get up. I'll have some birds of the air bring you some berries. They'll drop them off every once in a while. Every, every couple of hours, a pig's going to hop right into the barbecue for you. When you get hungry, you just grab a rib, and you shouldn't have to move to stay in your hammocks. <laughs> Is that what God said? Not at all. That's not at all what God said. God said, look, the world is perfect right now. Now go work. The world is as it should be. I've got a job for you. I've got something I want you to do. See, God is not a God who says, because I'm God, you work for me. Because I'm God, I can make everybody else do what I want them to do so I get to relax and do nothing. And so he's not that kind of God. He's a working God who made you in his image, and he expects us to be working people. In fact, because you're made in his image, because you're made for work, it's why there is such a disconnect on both ends of the work spectrum. It's why it's so easy for so many of us to become workaholics. Because there's something innate in you that understands you were made for work. That something about work is able to just envelop your identity and who you are, and you feel successful when you're working. You feel good when you're working because you were made for work. But on the flip side, 
It's also why when you find yourself in a season or a time where maybe you're in between jobs or you're not working, it's, it's, it's why you find yourself sometimes so disappointed. Yes, it can be become because there's less income, but it's because there's something hardwired inside of you because the DNA of you is made in the image of your father who is a working God, and he says, I want you to work. And so when you're in between jobs, when you're not working, you find yourself feeling disappointed with that because you were made to work. Now, as I say all that, let me speak for a moment to the stay-at-home parents, to the students, to the unemployed, to the retired. Because what I want to make clear here when I talk about work is I'm not just talking about a job or a vocation, right? Adam and Eve didn't just have a job or a vocation. I'm not talking about what people get paid for on the 15th and the 30th of every month. Adam and Eve didn't get paid for what they're being asked to do. It's all about doing what you were created to do. See, when I talk about work, what I mean is each and every day when you get up, whatever it is that you are using your hands to do, that's your work that day. Whatever it is that you are taking and saying, this is worthy of my time, this is how I'm going to invest myself in that day, in that time, that's your work. Students, when you go to class and you study and you listen and you prepare, that's your work. Stay-at-home parents, when you are loving on and caring for those children, that's your work. If you're unemployed, if you're retired, everything you do throughout your day with your hands, how you spend your time, that's your work. And that's what we're talking about. And how you do that work matters because God has an assignment for you. So if that's the case, and that's what we were made to do, I want to give you three keys to how to work as Christ's followers. And the first key is simply this. Work like God assigned you your job, because he did. <laughs> Work like God assigned you your job, because he did. And some of you right now are like, great, now I'm bitter at God, because <laughs> I hate my job. It's not the job I wanted. <laughs> Why'd he give me this job? To talk about this idea about your work being an assignment from God, I want to take you to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where I want to go to next. And in 1 Corinthians, what this is, this is actually a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. It's a church that he planted. He left it in leadership of somebody else and left. But from time to time, he'd write them letters and they would write to him. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he's written them a letter. In this church that he's planted in the city of Corinth, you got to understand, Corinth is a port city. It's a chief transportation city. People are coming in and out of Corinth nonstop. And what that means is that in the city of Corinth, there tends to be a lot of anonymity. People don't have to know who you are. You're away from home a lot of the time. And, and so it becomes a city that's pretty well known for a lot of sin, a lot of bad choices, a lot of choices that maybe if you were known and people knew who you were, you wouldn't make, but there in Corinth, you can make it. And it rubs off on the people that actually live there and stay there. And Paul plants this church in the city of Corinth. And as he plants this church, he writes this letter, and the church is made up of a lot of brand new Christ followers. These are people that, that some time ago would have said, you know, we weren't sure we thought of Jesus. We kept hearing stories and all this crazy stuff going on all around them, and we thought, man, that's crazy, that sounds weird. But then when the tomb was empty, and then he showed up for 40 days and met with people and talked with people, we were like, oh, okay, we got to understand more about this guy. We got to learn, and then we decided this guy is real. He really is the son of God, and we decided to follow him. And so now they're at church. They're in church in Corinth, and they're going, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus. Now what? Now what do I do? I'm supposed to no longer be a part of the world. What does that mean? 
Does that mean I leave everything behind? Does that mean I have to sell everything I ever owned? How do I follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? What do I have to change and what can stay the same? And so Paul in his letter to them has this advice. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. He says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them, this is the rule I lay down on all the churches. And I want you to see something here. He says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Circle, highlight, underline that. Just as God has called them. Circle, highlight, underline that. And then he goes on and says, this rule that I lay down, I lay down in all the churches I go to. Paul says, whoa, 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 okay, everyone is trying to quit their job. Everyone thinks that becoming a Christian means they have to change everything. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. Yes, there are some things you're going to have to change. We're going to get to that. We're going to talk about that. And he says, but here, when it comes to this, listen, listen, wherever God found you, whatever it is you were doing, God wants you to keep doing. God wants you to do it now, but now you work for him. He picks this back up in verse 20 of the same book and same chapter and says, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Work like God assigned you your job because he did. You've come to know Christ and you go, okay, now, now where do I go from here? What do I do? Where should I live? Where should I work? What should change? And Paul says, look, there's this rule. There's this guideline that I've laid out for all the churches that I go into, all the churches I write to, all the churches that I talk to. And, and, and he, says, he says, wherever God has put you, that's where you stay. That's where he, he wants you. And so if you're going, well, now wait a second, Kirk, time out, time out. If you knew where I worked, <laughs> if you knew the people that I work for, if you realized how crazy the people are, how dark and sinister the office can be, how off the wall the rules are, if you, if you knew the people I worked alongside of, Kirk, they detest God. <laughs> this place that I work, Kirk, this place, sometimes it feels like hell. And I would look at you, if that's you, and I would say, that sounds like a great place for a missionary. And you'd probably look back at me, and you'd be like, oh, my word, do you think God would send somebody here? That would be so good. (laughs) And I'm going to look back at you, and I'm going to go, I think he already has. It's you. Work like God assigned you your job because he has. Which brings us to number two. Work like you're on a mission because you are. Work like you are on a mission because you are. Paul is saying, look, whatever you are doing, wherever you are in life, God has called you there and he wants you there. Listen, listen, every time that we do a a missions trip, I love it. And what we typically do is we will bring up the missions team and we bring them up on stage and uh, and, 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 and we want to pray for them. And we ask you guys to pray for them. And I love it. And they come up here and they'll stand in front of you and they will say, you know, we don't know what we're going to do exactly. We don't know all of what's going to happen, but we just know God's going to work. We just know God's going to move. We just know that when we're there, we're serving him. Whatever he brings to us, we're going to do. 
And, and, and those people that have been on missions trips are like, sometimes that gets really, really hard. Sometimes things go really, really bad. Sometimes your sleep arrangements are bad. Sometimes the people you're working with are for, it's hard because there's different language barriers and it's a challenge and, and everyone is praying for you. And you'll sit out there and you're like, those people are so good. I love what God's doing in their life. And you'll sit out there and you will pray for them and love on them. And you love that they're doing what God's calling them to. Let me ask you something. What if God wants to do the exact same thing through you at your place of work? Well, what, what if when you go to work, God says that is no different than me sending a missions team to Sierra Leone, a missions team to Morelia, Mexico? What if he says when you go to work, I'm sending you there as a missionary, and you don't know what's going to happen. There's going to be things that are going to go bad. There's going to be things that are going to go wrong. There's going to be challenges that come up. But when you're there, I want you to represent me. When you're there, you're an ambassador for me. What if that's exactly what God wants to do? I want to take you next to the book of Colossians. It's, it's, it's another letter written by Paul, and I want to look at Colossians chapter 3. I want you to see the missionary mindset that we are supposed to have. Not if you're the team that's going overseas on missions, but I mean if you're right here staying here, and when you go to work every day, when you do whatever it is that you do with your hands and use your mind for, what is the missionary mindset you're supposed to have? Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, it says this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if it's in sales or marketing, teaching, if it's working in a factory, working from home, being a student, being a stay-at-home parent, or if you're retired. Whatever you find yourself doing, however you are using your mind, in whatever way you're using your hands, whatever you find yourself doing, you are doing for Jesus. You do it as a representative. You do it as an ambassador, as a missionary for God. Whatever you're doing, you do for Jesus. Now, same, same book, same chapter, jump to verse 23. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever you do, you're working for the Lord. I don't care who your boss is. You're not working for him or her. You're working for Jesus. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. It's Jesus who you're serving every single day with whatever it is that you're doing. Think about this verse. If you were to remind yourself of this verse every weekend, every Sunday, how might it change your case of the Mondays? If you would remind yourself that as you go into Monday, you get to work for Jesus, that you get to work for his glory, for his purpose, how might that change your case of the Mondays or the Sunday scaries or the Shmondays, whatever it is that you call them in your household? How could this passage change your heart on where you're at and where God has planted you and what he's asked you to do? And I know some of you, again, you're like, but Kirk, you just don't understand you don't understand my boss. If you knew my boss, if you understood the tyrant I work for, I get it. I get it. But you're not working for him. You're not working for her. You're working for Jesus. Others of you are like, well, it's not really the boss that I have a problem with. It's, it's actually that I'm a stay-at-home parent, and I've got this three-year-old tyrant that runs the house. It's like a dictatorship. And I, and I sometimes just don't know what to do. Listen, if you are a stay-at-home parent... <laughs> Your work might be some of the most important work that there's anybody here that is doing. <laughs> and how you raise that three-year-old dictator matters. <laughs> 
And you've got to remember that when you are telling them some hard truths, when you're making them obey, when you're working hard with them, when you're teaching them, you're doing it in the name of Jesus for the glory of God because you're not raising a child, you're raising a parent who you are hoping will one day love Jesus Christ in the same way you do. Maybe others of you are like, okay, Kirk, but I'm a student. You don't understand. See, I've got this one professor and uh, he's completely unreasonable. His grading scale is way off. He doesn't understand how things are supposed to work. He's given us APA standards, and they're not even right, but he doesn't know it, and he expects to do it his way and not their way, and it makes no sense. We have to do it the wrong way. His tests are completely unfair. In fact, there's other people of the same class but a different professor, and their class is so much easier than ours. It's not fair, and I will tell you, it doesn't matter because you're not there about the grade as much as you are there to be Jesus to that professor and to the rest of the students who are in that class with you. Everything that you do, you are doing for Jesus Christ. How should this change our Monday mornings? Well, let's say, for example, there's a Monday morning, and you hear this little whisper that wakes you up. Psst, psst. Come on, get up. Time to get up. You open your eyes. You sit up in bed because you think you just heard something, and then you hear. This is God. I have a special mission for you today. Now, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that? Like, you wake up and you hear this voice, and it says, this is God. I have a mission for you. You get all excited. You get all, oh, you're like, okay, God, what do you got for me? I'm ready. I'm ready, God. Give me my mission. Go. It's the same thing you did last week. Just do it better. (laughs) But I hated last week. I know. That's the problem. (laughs) And that's it. That's it. See, if you go into your work and you tell yourself, well, I hated last week, I hate what I do, I don't like the people I work for, and I don't have to do this, I don't want to do this, then you stop realizing you've missed the point, you've missed the mark that you are not there for, 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 for them, you're there for Jesus who says, love them in my name, you're to represent me to them, you're to be my ambassador. Listen, you should ask yourself every single week, Did the people that I work for and the people that I work with, based on how I treated them this week and how I loved on them, did they see Jesus in me or not? If you're a stay-at-home parent, ask yourself, based on how I worked with my children today, did they see Jesus in me? If you're a student, ask yourself, based on how I operated and acted in class today, did other students see Jesus in me? If you're retired, ask yourself with the people that I interacted with today, Did the people that I interacted with, did they see Jesus in me? Every single day at work, you work for Jesus. This should change us. Listen, listen. Why does God need so many teachers who love Jesus? It's because there are so many children that are being raised in godless, Christless homes. And he says, I need teachers who are going to invest in these kids and tell these children that they are loved. I need them to know they're loved, but it's not just about the students. I need teachers who are going to love on the other teachers because those other teachers are going to be impacting those students as well. It's not just teachers. It could be any occupation. It's why God looks around, and when he sees a group of engineers, he says, hmm, how am I ever going to reach these engineers? 
They're incredibly analytical people. They're some of the most logical people that you could ever meet. I mean, they're completely linear in thinking. These are the kind of people that they never understand your jokes because they always think the punchline doesn't work. Well, you could never have a hundred. Who cares? It's a joke. Laugh at it. God looks at that group of engineers and he says, how in the world am I ever going to reach them? He goes, I know. I need someone who speaks their language. I'm going to take a Christian engineer and I'm going to place him or her into that group of engineers (laughs) and they're going to be Jesus to them. And based on how they live, they're going to model what it means to follow Jesus Christ. God looks at a sales team and he says, look at that sales team. I need somebody on that sales team that's going to operate with some integrity and some honesty. I need someone on that sales team that's going to try to reach the others that are there. Who am I going to send to do that? And he's going to realize I've got to send a Christian salesman or saleswoman, somebody who's going to go in there. And, and instead of just cheating the system to get the paycheck, they're going to live with integrity. They're going to operate differently than everybody else that's there and make the others around them say, what's different about you? What's changed? Why, why am I finding myself looking up to you so much? And then I picture God looking at Michigan State University, Lansing Community College, and he looks at all these students. And he sees all these 18, 19, 20-year-olds, and they're confused. What do I want to do when I'm 35? I have no idea. (laughs) What will be fun? I don't know what will be fun when I'm 35. What will make me money? I don't know. Someone told me that I shouldn't be an art major. Someone said I shouldn't do social work. It'll never make me money. But what if it's what I sense God calling me to? And then students get on social media, and everything about social media says you're not good enough. You don't measure up. You could do better, but you're not. And and shame on you, and it's too bad. And there's other people who are better than you and smarter than you, and I can't keep up. And God looks at our universities, and he says, how am I going to reach them? How am I going to love on these students so they know that I made them exactly how they are? That I've called them to specific things, that I've given them talents that I want them to live out and play out. He says, how am I going to reach these students? I could send a retired missionary, but I don't think that's going to work. And I just picture God going, ah, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to send a 21-year-old student who says, I know Jesus and I love Jesus. And even though I've never been mentored, I'll invest in mentoring two or three college students to help them understand who Jesus is and how they're to live. See, I think when we begin to realize that how we work every day matters, it should begin to change us. Let me give you one last thing that I want us to keep in mind when it comes to us being called, (laughs) being called to what we do every Monday through Sunday, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And here's the third one. Work like it's your worship to God because it should be. Work like it's your worship to God because it should be. Now, I want to be careful using this word worship because what sometimes happens in the church, and and we're guilty of creating this atmosphere, but sometimes what happens is that when we see the word worship, we only think of music. 
We think of all the singing that we do. And there are some of you, there are some of you that you love the singing we do, right? Like you get here early every single Sunday because you don't want to miss a song. You're convinced somewhere in scripture it says that on Sunday mornings we have to sing at least five songs, three before the message and two afterwards, or it wasn't a good Sunday. That's in Hesitations chapter four, right? Like, like you're convinced of that, that you're certain that's there because you love to worship with songs, then there's others of you. You're lobby dwellers, right? You're lobby dwellers. You get your coffee, and you hear the music begin to start in here, and you start doing laps around the connection center. You're looking out the windows, and you're kind of like, oh, look, a bird, a black squirrel. I haven't seen one of those in three weeks out there. You hear the first song start, you hear it wrap up, the second song begins, and you're like, hey, look at this chair. I wonder which chair around this table is the most comfortable. I should find out for connection time later so I know where to sit. I'm going to take a seat and sit. Honey, sit with me. Let's just chill right here. Is that the third song beginning? Oh, good, good, good. And then as the third song wraps up, you're like, oh, this is the chair I want to sit in. We can head in now. Let me say, welcome to the back row. We're glad you're here. Like, that's okay. There is no verse that says that you have to worship to songs or music. There's no verse that says that you have to love the music that we worship to or sing on each and every Sunday morning. So I want to be careful when I talk here about worship that it's not just about music and songs. It's actually more than that. See, worship is our response to God. So it can be singing, but it's not just that. Worship is our response to our amazing creator, God. That means that everything we do at work, in the classroom, even in our homes, because we are doing it for God, it is an act of worship. So I want you to think about something for a minute. I want you to think about how much of our time we actually spend worshiping God. How much of it we spend worshiping in song versus how much of it we spend worshiping at work. Because how you work is an act of worship. So, 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 so just for example... Um, if you were to take and consider how many hours, how much time we spend a week worshiping in song here, uh, let's just say that a typical night, let's exclude sleeping, all right? So we're just going to take out for a week, we're going to take eight hours a night out for sleeping. I know some of you were like, who gets eight hours of sleep? My 11-year-old does. That's who. She would sleep till noon every Saturday if we let her, all right? But eight just works. It's a round number. So eight hours of sleep, all right? If you sleep eight hours a night, then based on the 24 or so minutes of worship that we do here on a typical Sunday at Faith Church, you spend 0.3% of your time worshiping through song. Based on that same eight hours of sleep, and according to the national average, the amount of waking hours that you will spend at work is the equivalent to 65% of your week. What that means is when we talk about obedience, when we talk about being disciples and followers of Christ, when we talk about worship and honoring God, it means that 65% of your grade is based upon what you are doing during the day and how you're using your hands, how you're using your mind when you're at work, when you're a student, when you're in your home. 65% of your grade of how am I doing worshiping God takes place there. And it matters because the world is watching how we work. This brings us to our so what moment. So what does it mean? What do we do with this? Where do we go from here? Church, I love it when we bring up our missions teams and we pray for them on the stage. I love that we do that. And if we had time today, here's what I would love to do with every one of you if we had time. I would love to bring every one of you up here and just say, all right, what's your name? Where do you work? All right, what do you think God's gonna do this week? 
All right, everybody, let's pray for them. All right. And then the next one of you come up. Where do you work? All right, what do you think God's going to do this week? Where do you need prayer? All right, let's all pray. And I would love to do that for every single one of you because your workplace, what you do during the week, how you use your hands, it is your worship to God. It matters. And you might wake up every morning and be like, God has called me here. Oh, And he's like, yes, I have, because there's people there that need Jesus. It's why I love what Colossians says. I love how it put it when it says, whatever you do, you are doing for God. So listen, church, you have to understand this. You don't have a boss. You have a God. You don't have an owner you report to. You have Jesus Christ. You don't have a supervisor. You have the Holy Spirit. And every week you need to remind yourself of that. But I understand going to work is one of the hardest things you do. So we're going to close in prayer today, but we're going to close in a little bit different way. I can't bring every single one of you up here one at a time. Um, Some of you would never come back to church. That would take hours on end. But I think we can still pray for every single one of you. So I'm going to invite our staff to come on up to the front, and the church staff is going to come up here. And here's how we're going to close today, is we're going to pray for all of you, collectively all at once, because here's what we want to understand. We want to make sure you understand. When you leave here today, you're headed to the mission field. The moment you walk out of these doors, you are worshiping God with how you act, with how you treat others, with how you love others. It's your worship. And so we're not going to finish with any songs today. And it's not because we don't love songs. We love music. We love songs. But we want to be clear. Your worship is what you do when you leave here today. And so as a staff and as a church, we're just going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you all to stand right now. And we're going to turn where you are standing. We're going to pretend that's the stage. You all are on stage. You're about to head on a missions trip to the place that you work. And we want to pray for you. And so whenever you guys pray for a missions team, we always say, hey, if you're comfortable, would you put your arms out towards them in the front? And so our staff is going to do exactly that right now. And as I lead us in prayer, they're going to be praying silently themselves for each and every one of you as we just pray a prayer of blessing over you as you head to the mission field. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, each and every one of these people, here's what I love, Lord. I, I can't name them all by name, but you can. Your Holy Spirit knows every single one of them by name. And Lord, you know the challenges they're facing this week. Lord, you know the stay-at-home mom that is dreading when, 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 when dad leaves and she's home alone with dealing with the kid. Lord, you know that stay-at-home dad that is fearful of, of how do I operate this way? How do I take care of these kids? When mom goes off to work and they're fearful of Monday, the kids that don't behave, they don't listen. God, you know the students that have certain classes that scare them to death. And they get so frustrated with it, they just want to complain to everybody else. They want to complain about the professor and say what a bad professor they are. But Lord, you know that for them to represent you, they've got to change their attitude. And I pray that you'd help them to do that. That as they walk into that class this week, they would do so in the name of Jesus, knowing they're a missionary for Jesus. Lord, you you know those that are sitting here that are in between jobs or they're retired. Father, I pray that they would see every interaction they have this week with another person as an opportunity to represent Jesus Christ to that person. May they know that it doesn't matter if you're in between jobs or don't have a job or you're retired, that you never quit worshiping the Lord with how you work. And Lord, for those here that have these jobs that they go to every single day, that deal with bad bosses, that deal with feedback that's hard to receive, that have to work through relationships that are challenging at work. 
Help them to show grace. Help them to be Jesus. Help them to be ambassadors and missionaries in their workplace. And so, Lord, we pray that this week you would do what you want to do in each of the lives of the people that are represented here. In Jesus' great and mighty name we pray. Amen.